0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox
1: fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions.
0: Hosted by Jake Devereaux. And featuring Keaton DeRosier. It's a grand
2: slam! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Welcome back to the Over the Monster Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I'm joined by the managing editor of Overthemonster.com, Matt Collins. Matt, welcome back to the show. It's been a little while.
1: Yeah, it's been a little while since we talked. Done with yeah, Keith, but I feel like I haven't done
2: yeah, I guess we uh, we missed that one because we had the the guest on, and then and then you weren't on. So you know, it's it's been a bit, but um, has uh, been going on since then. Uh, not much of it good news. Um, in fact, twenty twenty, uh, you know, continues to tell previous bad years to to hold its beer, and then, you know, does additional terrible things. But um. We're going to talk about uh, a couple of those things on this podcast today. We're going to be talking about the financial situation going on in baseball right now, uh, and about some of the pay cuts going on to the Red Sox and minor leaguers, and you know, uh, all all that stuff uh, today. And then we're also going to get into something fun towards the back end of the podcast. We're going to be predicting um, the next award winners for all of the Red Sox uh, players, people who are in the organization, maybe some outside of the organization. We're going to be looking at MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove. And then, as usual, we're going to get to your listener questions. Um, so let's go ahead and get right into this, Matt. Uh, the financial situation in baseball is uh, one that is uh, frustrating uh, when we have to hear about it instead of actually seeing baseball or people operating in good faith with each other. And so far, um, this discussion of safety and money has prevented the owners and the players from coming to an agreement about playing in 2020. So uh, let me just get basically your, uh, you know, 30,000 foot uh, assessment of what the problem is here, what's going on with these two sides.
1: I mean, I think there's so much to say. I'm struggling to figure out where to start. I mean, I guess I would start by saying I think some of the hand-wringing over it in comparison to other sports is kind of bothering me. Um, Like, just generally, it's such a different situation than, like, the NBA and the NHL, um, because they didn't have any financial stuff to really talk about. Their seasons were pretty much over. Everybody had already been paid pretty much their full salaries, so they didn't have any of this stuff. So I think the comparison to the other sports has been stupid. But that being said, um, I obviously understand people's frustrations given the financial situation for a whole lot of people in this country right now. Um, But I think, unsurprisingly, that uh, a lot of the ire is directed towards the wrong party. A lot of people are... Blaming it on the players, and I think it's, to me, it's pretty clear that this is 90% the owner's fault, um, both for their ridiculous assertions and also the fact that this whole thing has been happening in the public eye, and that's all on the owners. They are leaking. All of the leaks are coming from the owners. Um, I mean, players are speaking publicly, but they're speaking, like, themselves. They're not leaking it through the media So, I mean, I think that's the part that I've been most annoyed by is the owners going to um, some historically very owner-friendly reporters and just leaking every step of the way through this whole process. Um, It's really been infuriating. and kind of is telling that they are more interested in winning the PR and making sure that they come out of this looking better than the players than they're actually interested in getting a deal done because if that was the case, they would have actually had players in their meetings when they were coming up with their original proposal instead of just Mm. doing it themselves and then extending it the other way and leaking some things to the media. So um, of all the annoying parts of this, and there are many, and the players aren't totally clean in this, but the owners doing everything through the media I think has really bothered me the most.
2: Yeah, that's pretty bothersome to me too. And it's it's, uh, interesting that they care more about Uh, how they look than actually getting this figured out and and reaching some sort of a fair and safe uh, solution if there is one to be made that's safe. And I think the argument on top of everything else right now is whether or not it's even safe or responsible uh, to come back in in play during this time period. And, you know, we could sit here and debate that for, for the entire time. But it's also interesting that these same owners who are so intent on dragging the players image Um, the players who who make the game great uh, through the mud are refusing to make their own books public too and it's something that'll never happen because they're private companies but you know it's they it's interesting that these same people are crying poor about not being able to you know float the cash to keep these businesses running during this time but they won't open up the books and also when it comes to begging uh, municipalities for money to buy stadiums and build stadiums and stuff like that they've got no shame in asking for that too so it seems like the owners are intent on wanting to uh, have their cake and eat it too
1: oh it's totally nauseating and it just i mean i've made this point a million times and it's the thing i keep coming back to i forever if anybody has ever questioned how much money the owners make and why they get to take such a big piece of the pie they don't really do anything why are they getting so much the answer has always been well they take the financial risk uh that's why they're there that's they get they deserve the profits because they take the financial risk which okay but this is that financial risk and they're refusing to take it so i've yet to hear a good answer on why they're actually necessary honestly i mean obviously they're not gonna nationalize mlb but i just i don't understand their role if there is no financial risk what are we even doing
2: yeah it's just another extension of american inequity that we're seeing here it's just it's too bad that this is permeated over into into sports and entertainment at a time where and i I think a lot of people are rightfully frustrated too a lot of people would love to be able to turn on their tv uh you know come fourth of july and watch their favorite baseball team play you know in a even in a way that is fan free and Uh, you know, as safe as possible. I think that people just need something like that in their lives right now. And, you know, people who are just struggling to go to the store and find toilet paper or buy groceries or, you know, whatever, keep a job or find a job or so many people with with problems right now, they would love to have that, um, that distraction in their lives.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think, um, I mean, another point that has been made a million times is how, important this is for the future of the league to be able to play and like to me that's just another point towards the owners should be the ones taking the cuts here if it's such a big deal for the future of the league the owners are the ones who benefit from that the players are have a lot shorter time in this game than the owners and it's just i don't know it feels like every point that people are making for pro owners here is not making the
2: yeah, I never really understood the pro owner uh, stance uh, when it comes to I mean, these I understand types of things.
1: It's because people root for teams, and the owners are the extension of the team. And plus, people don't know their salaries; they don't see, like, they see, you know, Chris Sale's salary, they see Bryce Harper's salary, and those are huge numbers. And obviously, the owners are making a lot more than that, but we don't sure. see that. So it's just sort of a Vague idea so it's it's harder to get angry at a vague idea than it is a specific number that is just so large and none of us can really wrap our heads around making that much money so i mean i it's stupid i definitely think that people are sort of missing a forest for the trees but i get where it's coming from
2: yeah that's a good point it's uh it's easier to get angry at what you can see than than what's a little bit more obscured like you said um I thought one of the most ridiculous points of all of this before we kind of move on to our next point, though, was the the fact that they tried to divide the players by uh, having the top players in the game, the people that they were trying to paint as these pariahs. And I think, uh, you know, it's been pointed out that these these people are not pariahs to the other players. The Mike Trouts of the world are not pariahs. They're celebrated. Um, the, everybody in the MLB wants to be like these guys and trying to have those guys, the ones that make this game, Uh, take the biggest pay cuts was just ridiculous. And you you think about it, even, you know, doing this whole Red Sox history thing, you know, looking back at guys' careers and looking at guys like Nomar, it's no guarantee that the best players in the game are going to remain the best players in the game uh, over the course of, you know, 20 years or something like that. These guys have a very limited amount of time to earn money and, you know, trying to tell the best players in the game that they need to take such a huge pay cut to me is just such an insult.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it was very clearly a calculated move. Um, One, to try and split the union, and also, um, it's another PR move. I mean, you get to tell people, like, look, these greedy players, the ones making all this money, the reason we aren't playing is because the the top earners are refusing to take a pay cut, which, I mean, I think the sliding sort of scale like they have it is ultimately how this deal gets done. But A, it, it can't be as steep as what the owners proposed. I mean, that was obviously ridiculous. And B, um, I mean, they should just work in deferrals. Like, we're only going to pay you this much this year, but over the next 5, 10 years, whatever, uh, we'll make up the rest. I mean, I think that's how the deal gets done, but it's just their starting point was so ludicrous and over the top. And I frankly don't really blame the players if they don't make a counter offer part of negotiations is that there's an understanding that there's going to be arguments made in, or um, offers made in good faith, and that was not in good faith.
2: Yeah, that's been the most frustrating part of this the whole time is that the deferrals have seemed like the easiest solution. Yeah, we've we've hasn't seen even deferrals in player contracts. Yeah, exactly right. And, and the other the other piece of this is before this all happened, um, we knew and and we do know that the gates for baseball have been pretty healthy, but on top of that, uh, it's been these massive TV contracts coming through um, for for these individual teams that are allowing these teams to be more flush with cash than ever. So the idea that these teams couldn't float these salaries to you know minor leaguers oh, and leaguers. defer money to um, their players and and pay out those contracts uh, as as much, even if they said to um, you know, Mike Trout, like, hey, we're going to pay you for 82 games that you play, and we're going to pay it out over the next, like, five years. Like, that's still something that a healthy business should be able to easily do. And I think that, I don't think Mike Trout would go back to them and be like, hey, I want to be paid for 162 games, even though I only pay. Played I mean, they've already agreed games. to the prorated. Exactly. And they agreed to yes. that in March. Right. So it, it just, it, it reeks of greed and um, the other thing that I've been thinking about a lot when when all this stuff has been going on is that I think a lot of the arguments that are being had right now are precursors to a lot of the things that were going to be brought out of the closet anyway uh, when we got to the next CBA negotiation
1: oh for sure and I mean the league has done a good job for lack of a better term of diversifying their revenues to the point where it's like impossible to distinct and this is, like, what they kind of hang their hat on, um, what's baseball revenue and what's not. So, like, they're buying properties around the park that obviously rely on the players and the game to make that money, but that can technically not count as revenue that they're making. Um, mm. They made that massive sale of, um, what is it, Bam Tech, their media uh, company. They got huge profits from that, but that can technically be... Um, considered not um, like league revenue because I mean that that power is like HBO Go and all that too so I mean that's not all baseball but it was built on the back of MLB TV which is obviously built on the back of players playing the game so I mean Mm -hmm. they have even just figuring out revenue um, is a controversial subject and that's going to be something that's going to be fought over definitely for the next CBA too so I mean it's all it's all so like foggy and hard to discern. And that's definitely by design from the owners to be able to make all this money, but say it's not actually from the team, it's from other sources.
2: Yeah. And it certainly feels like between what's going on now between the players and the owners with COVID and what should be going on between them discussing the next CBA, the average baseball fan is going to be the one who's going to have to deal with a lot of the frustration and uh, anger that is going to come with these prolonged negotiations, and, and the fan is probably going to be the one that's hurt the most by all this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the key, and I have zero faith that it's actually going to happen, but is to do the stuff behind closed doors, and not leak every little step of the negotiation process to try and manipulate the public, and I mean, that goes for the players too, although they haven't really done it quite as much as the owners, but just, I mean, everybody just needs to keep it private and do it quietly and not have not have to make fans make a judgment on every little step of the process. It's just nobody's helped by that.
2: Yep, I totally agree. It's a it's a bad state of things when you look at the uh, the NBA and the NHL and, and wish that baseball could be more like them when it came to player negotiations negotiations. Yeah. I mean, especially the NHL. Yeah, exactly. No one thought Gary Bettman would be celebrated yeah, at it's this point. Pretty outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we've gotten to. Um, but let's talk about how this affected the Red Sox. And Matt, you wrote an article about uh, how the Red Sox cut 22 minor leaguers and about the uh, pay cuts that the people working for the organization are going to be taking. Um, and I guess on the flip side, um, one good piece of news is the Red Sox were one of the teams that came out and said they were going to pay mm-hmm. minor leaguers, I believe, through the end of August, which is through the, end of the season, a lot yeah yeah three in the season I think the first week of September is
1: on the season end, so
2: right, yeah, so um, you know those guys aren't gonna be missing any paychecks, which is you know a great thing obviously for the minor leaguers uh that's one thing that the Red Sox come out looking a little bit better than some of the organizations in um but what did you make of the the players getting cut in the cuts to the staff?
1: Well, as far as the minor league players go, it's. I'm not, like, super outraged about it. They certainly could have and should have kept everybody. I mean, if the Royals are, can manage to keep everybody, the Red Sox obviously can. And, I mean, I did a, the math. There, the minor league stipends are $400 a week. Um, so those 22 players, um, I the article up, it was, like, 125000 something like that, that the Red Sox saved, which is, I mean, that's literally like couch cushion change for the Red Sox. So, I mean, it's a little disappointing that they did it. Um, They didn't cut quite as many as some other teams, Um, and these are a lot of the guys would have been minor league free agents after the season, Um, and, I mean, this is the number of guys who would have been cut in a normal year anyways between the end of camp and before the draft. Um, Of course, the flip side of that is the draft is much shorter. They don't need all those roster spaces, and they only have four uh, picks, and, I mean, obviously they can sign some undrafted guys. I have no sense of how many of them they'll actually sign but um so i would say probably in the middle of the pack for the minor league stuff um obviously paying them the guys that are still in the organization is great um i think they could have done a little bit better with the cuts but they also probably could have done worse um the pay cuts to the staff though is absurd just i have no idea who did this but they need a new job because (laughs) i mean it just it makes no sense these tiers make no sense uh, they starting at twenty percent. I mean, most of the organizations are doing like starting at seventy five thousand, and you're losing like ten to fifteen percent. Um, and you're cutting a guy who's living in Boston, making fifty thousand dollars a year. Fifty thousand dollars a year is not that much if you're living in Boston. Um, no, I mean, Boston's obviously extremely expensive. So I mean, you're cutting starting cuts at fifty thousand treating them the same as making somebody who's making ninety nine thousand and treating guys who make a hundred thousand the same as making like five hundred thousand. I the tiers just make absolutely no sense. And I mean Trellicks Evan Drellick was the one who originally reported the cuts and I mean, he said he talked to some of the employees and somebody said people are livid and frankly I I uh don't blame them. So I mean I think like I said the minor league stuff I think could have been better but it really wasn't too too terrible in the um, through the scope of like the league as a whole but the cuts to the um, non-player employees, that was atrocious. That's one of the worst in the league.
2: Yeah, I agree. And and that's what bothered me the most, too, is because thinking about that and and making those cuts to the salaries of people who are actually working in the organization, it seems super short-sighted to me because people are going to remember that when they are thinking about taking jobs and interviewing with the Red Sox and things like that. It it has more of a far-reaching effect than I think we're currently seeing right now. And, uh, you know, Ian Kundle, who we had as a guest a couple weeks ago, pointed out, you know, just by the Red Sox uh, paying minor leaguers through the end of the year. I mean, that's something that players and agents are going to remember as well. So everything that's being done by these teams is going to be information stored in the back of agents and players' minds uh, for the future. So if, if you're a rich organization like the Red Sox, it seems like you'd want to do everything possible to seem like a first-class organization in every possible way throughout this process.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, if anything, they should be um, adding staff. I mean, teams like the A's are, like, firing their entire scouting departments. Yeah. They should be scooping all these guys up. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to, but, I mean, that would be huge for the organization. I mean, it's a signal, like you said, to, for the future. Like, we are going to take care of our guys, and we're going to add jobs, and we care about the scouting department, and... It's Very clear that on a lot of teams do,
2: yeah, and, and it's it's also worth noting about the, the minor leaguers that they released. Uh, it doesn't look great, but it also doesn't bother me as much of, as a lot of the other things because a lot of these guys were, you know, basically org guys or, or non prospect types um, that would have, you know, likely been. Yeah, a lot of them could have been cut at the end of spring training or in yeah. the first few months of the minor league season or, like said, or whatever. A lot of them are going to be free agents after the
1: year, and there's probably not going to be a season. I mean, there's almost certainly not going to be a minor league season this year. Um, it's all but official. So they I, I do out of the organization anyways by the end of the year.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I do think, though, that the... The point that was made in the statement by Dayton Moore, the Royals guy, uh, was really poignant in the fact that, you know, even failed minor leaguers, guys that don't make it to the big leagues, uh, are going to likely be the guys that have careers in baseball, whether that's within the organization or within organizations like Driveline or, you know, working with youth players in their community. These are the people that are consistently building the game on a grassroots level and a you know, we we all know people like that. If you played baseball growing up, even if you didn't play baseball, you had a relative who played baseball, or just knew people. Everybody knows some like ex minor leaguer who helped them at the cage, or you know, helped them with their glove work, or whatever. Some connection. These people are in our communities, and it, it's just it's sad to see them not get that support throughout this time period.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, even. And the support is so modest, too. Like, it's such a low bar. They're paying him $400 a week.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, it's Seriously. so little. Like, like I said, the Red Sox are saving it's $123,000 a month. It's crazy. They can afford that. Like, it's yeah. not like these, like you said, these players aren't going to be contributors to the organization, at least not as players, but just pay them. They're people. <laughs> just give them yeah. their money.
2: <laughs> it, 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 a lot of these guys would probably do better on unemployment, oh, they would but, you know. Do <laughs> they, they definitely probably don't want to go out this way you know it's just the, the way that it's yeah, all happening sure. it's what's bothersome all right so let's get on to uh, a a more fun topic to discuss uh, matt you had this great idea for predicting uh red Sox award winners next award winners and this isn't necessarily players who are already with the team um it can be you know people who are not yet up with the team, um, so Matt and I went through and we both picked our MVPs, our Cy Young winners, our Rookie of the Year, Silver Slugger, and Golden G- Gold Glove winners, and I think the idea for this was the next person to win this award will be blank, right? Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and start at the bottom with our Gold Glover, and we'll, we'll make people wait a little bit for the best one. Um, who was your next Gold Glove? So mine's hedged a little bit. Um, sorry, I think I have a, a birthday procession, so I'm going to mute myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Um, yeah, so mine's hedged a little bit. It depends on whether or not there's baseball in 2020. Um, if they do play this year, I would say Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, obviously Bradley is in contention in to center field every year. There's always stiff competition. So it's certainly no sure thing, but I think, um, he has, like, the name cachet, and he's also got that little extra motivation for um, with his upcoming free agency. So I think he would be my pick if there is baseball in 2020. If not, um, then he's a free agent at the end of the year, and I do not anticipate the Red Sox bringing him back. So I would go over to left field with Andrew Benintendi. Um, that's only if he stays in left field. If Bradley leaves and they move Benintendi over to center, I definitely don't think he's a gold lover there. But I think they would keep him in left, and – while I don't think Benintendi is a great defensive player, I think he has a good reputation. It's easy to look good in left field at Fenway. Um, and he's been a finalist before, so he's kind of right there. I don't know if he's actually won or not. I should probably know that. But either way, that those would be my picks.
2: Yeah, I don't think he has won one before. Um, but I, I agree with you on Benintendi. It's not who I picked, but it was someone who I thought really hard about picking. Uh, I actually... Really thought about picking Ben not only for Gold Glove but for uh, the next Silver Slugger, too. Just because I think that we haven't seen uh, the best of, of Ben Intendi yet. I think a lot of people are kind of down on him right now, being that he's 25 years old and he had that first rookie year where he went 2020, only one of 10 major leaguers in baseball history to do a 2020 season as a rookie. Um, but, yeah, I, I love him, and I, I still think that Benintendi is, is going to have a couple monster years as he, he enjoys his 25, 26, 27, 28 seasons. We forget that you know minor league evaluators threw a 70 on his hit tool, between a 60 and 70, but a lot of people had him 65 or 70, so he's a really good player. Um, for me, the, the gold glover that I went with is the future Red Sox second baseman, uh, just came over in a trade, Jeter Downs. He's currently a guy who actually played a little bit more shortstop last year than he did second base, but he looks like a second baseman long term and and to be the the next Red Sox second baseman. And one of the other things that kind of swayed this one for me is that um, second base has been a little bit weak in terms of uh, who's won the award. It's not been a consistent one person over the last few years in the American League. It was... Pedroia, a couple of years, uh, three out of four years. And then it was Altuve, Kinsler, Dozier, Kinsler, Sanchez. And, you know, Kinsler and Dozier and Pedroia, those guys are all aging out of that. Um, so I think it, it, we're kind of ready for that next crop. And I just think that Downs uh, with the athleticism from shortstop moving over to uh, second base has a chance to be a, a plus defender over there.
1: Yeah, and I think it's easier to stand out of second base right now too because it's such a changing position um, yeah. with the shifting. There's a lot of guys third baseman moving over to second base who can handle the position but don't necessarily stand out. So if you are a standout guy at that position and can maybe um, allow the team to shift a little less and play more balanced defense, that's a huge value that um, I think will be more and more recognized over the next few years.
2: Yeah, I think so too. Um, for Silver Slugger, um, that's our next award. I went with uh, somebody who uh, hilariously, and I think this is still on the Over the Monster Twitter account, right? It's JD Martinez. My fav-
1: favorite fact in the history of baseball. <laughs> it's unbelievable. We do not talk about it
2: nearly enough. No, we don't. Uh, the winner of two Silver Sluggers in the same season. Um, insane. I, <laughs> it is. It's completely <laughs> insane. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm a little, I hedged a little bit here. Uh, kind of like you know, you decided not to go with Jackie Bradley Jr., I almost decided not to go with JD because I think there's a good chance that he uh, opts out after this year, and if they don't get to play, this is obviously well, not going to happen. Oh, you don't think he'll opt out? Well, that, that might be gonna better be, uh, for my... A... Free this is going to be a joke. Uh, well, that would be great <laughs> But I we think, need his bat. I
1: think he could get traded, especially if they end up sticking with the universal DH. Well, that's
2: kind of why I thought he might opt out.
1: Yeah, but I just—I don't think teams are going to pay anything in free agency.
2: Yeah, I suppose that's
1: choose free agency if they have a choice. I could be wrong, but that's just my feeling.
2: The bat, though, I I still am convinced that JD Martinez has about three or so elite years left.
1: My concern with Martinez is strictly health, Um, the back spasms last year, he didn't really miss much time, but he was kind of battling them off and on all year, and that just scares me going forward. Um, If I know he's healthy, yeah, for sure, I think he's going to mash and absolutely can be in the Silver Slugger mix. It's just, I don't know exactly how those... um, how that back stuff is going to work out. Um, And also, Jordan Alvarez kind of emerged as, like, a challenger, and also Cruz is still around. Um, So, I mean, I definitely it's certainly not a silly pick at all. I just the back I think the back thing kind of scares me a little bit more than um maybe it should.
2: No, that's absolutely fair. I think it scares you the right amount. I'm pretty scared about it <laughs> yeah. too. Maybe backs backs don't tend to get better with age, unfortunately. No. I guess the only silver lining is maybe that having all of this downtime uh, can allow for some strengthening and healing if there was any to be done, but you know age is still happening yeah, yeah. Um, so I went with uh,
1: Xander Bogarts um, there is obviously some competition position, um, Lindor, Correa, uh, Torres I mean these guys are all phenomenal hitters, uh, Boba shots coming up, um, but I just think Bogarts is right there with them and and he's, I mean, you see what he's done the last two years, he's just consistently very, very good. So, I don't know, I just think the other guy I was considering was Devers, but third base is so loaded. Um, not that shortstop isn't, but I just don't, I'm more confident in Bogart's being able to get over the hump offensively over some of these other shortstops than it was with
0: Devers um, over the other third baseman. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
2: Yeah, sh- short is, is loaded, but it's not even close to as loaded as third, like you said. Um, and, and the other thing that plays into Bogey's favor here is that even as Bogey's defense might not be considered elite, I, I think a lot of people consider it kind of average to below average, uh, the bat just continues to get better every year. And, and Bogey has such an elite approach at the plate, I can't see... Uh, his offensive skills starting to decline. If anything, I'm not even sure we've seen the offensive peak from him. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that he's going to continue to do this, health permitting, for the next, you know, four, five, six years. I, I see it with him.
1: Yeah, I don't see any reason why he can't. I mean, like you said, that approach, his ability to hit um, with two strikes is, I think, the most impressive part of his game him and when him and Betts are in the lineup together I mean those are two of the best two strike hitters in baseball and if you're able to hit like that with two strikes on a consistent basis I mean it just totally changes the game
2: yeah nothing rattles that guy at all it's awesome um you know I shockingly stayed away from bogey on every pick of this list despite him being my favorite player but I'm gonna wholeheartedly agree with every time you pick him <laughs> Uh, <laughs> rookie of the year award this is a really fun one to kind of look uh, forward into the future I want to start with your pick because I thought it was really interesting and one that could be topical as soon as next year
1: Yeah, so it's, this is hard, I mean this is obviously a hard thing to predict um, so I went with Jaron Duran um, part of it is so a big part of winning rookie of the year obviously is you have to play most of the season like you can't be a guy who gets called up in July. It's very, very difficult to win. I mean, you still can if you go absolutely nuts, but it's not really something you can bet on. So I, the fact that there's not going to be a minor league season makes me less confident um, that he could be up early to replace uh, Jackie Bradley in 2021. But there's still a chance of it. And he's also the type of player who could get hot. Um, he's a contact-oriented guy. So, I mean, if he gets some bad at ball luck, you can see a high batting average, which obviously plays very well. Um, he plays up the middle, middle and center field. And he's extremely flashy and athletic, which is can only help getting votes. Um, and also, I mean, I'm generally higher on Durand than most other people. I think he's going to be a very good player and make a couple of all-star games. So I don't think that he's, like, I think Jeter Downs is better, but I'm less confident or less sure that he's going to be up um, early in the year, then I, th- I think Duran is the type of guy that can shoot up and um, they can have confidence in him very early. Plus, he's a couple of years older than down, so they would be more willing to push him.
2: Yeah, he's one who's, whose approach I was particularly interested in watching this year because we already knew that he was in advanced area last year, but he struggled getting busted inside with pitches and worked all off-season to uh, shore up that weakness and changed his his, uh, where he has his hands a little bit in order to get to some of those inside pitches. So I was really looking forward to being able to see if he could make that adjustment and kind of uh, master Double A, where he seemed to struggle last year. He did pick it up over the last like month of the season. Um, it definitely took him a little bit to get adjusted, but he
1: was much better down the stretch. And yeah, I mean, my expectation for him was to make it to Pawtucket by like July, um, which would have put him on track for the early call-up. For 2021, obviously, I have no idea what missing a minor league season does for any of these guys' timelines, which kind of makes this question even harder than it already would be.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's really complicated. Um, the guy who I went with uh, for Rookie of the Year is Red Sox top prospect, Tristan Casas. Um, I haven't been this sure about a Red Sox prospect for a while, I would say probably since Xander. Um, that was the, the last guy I was this sure about, because even thinking, thinking back to uh, Betts being a fifth rounder and, not you know, Benintendi. not, I, you know, I actually, as much as I had faith in Ben Intendi, his size uh, was one of the things that I was a little bit concerned about. I wasn't 100% sure how much of that power that he flashed his sophomore year at Arkansas would actually play up when he got to the major leagues. Um, and I, I guess I just don't have those doubts with Tristan Casas from everything that I've seen. He's a monstrous human being. He, he's he's huge. huge. Oh, my God. And he keeps getting bigger. Yeah. And the thing that's, that's uh, startling with him, too, is just the fact that he's been able to maintain a lot of athleticism with his size. I think that'll continuously be something that we have to monitor. But even if he ends up at first base... I see a kid who could be a plus defender at first base, um, you know, as, as much as there is such a thing. Um, and we talk a lot about players that can hit in a two strike approach. And, um, that's one of the rare things about Tristan Casas is he's not just the middle of the order slugger who just goes up hacking all the time. He has a very different approach when he has two strikes on him. He chokes up on the bat. He becomes much more hitterish, um, he's really advanced in a lot of ways that you don't typically see for guys uh, his age. And I think that's why we're seeing him pop up on so many top 100 lists. And I think even Fangraphs had him in the 50s. I think they had him 57. Um, And and a lot of that is like, you typically, you put a lot of pressure on the bat at first base, but this is a bat that should hit for average, should have a high OBP, um, should have some of that middle of the order thump. And then, you know, defensively seems to uh, profile is a pretty good first baseman too so there's just a lot of things that i love about this and it seems like uh i'm dreaming of anthony rizzo uh comps over there and you know i don't know if he'll reach those heights exactly but uh, it seems like he's going to be a good one
1: yeah yeah i would agree with that um i definitely thought about causes i think my most of my hesitation was around first base but now that i think about it more Think positional value matters quite as much with rookie of the year as it does for something like MVP. Um, So I can see that. I guess it's just he's a little far away that I'm, and again, I'm not, he seems like the kind of guy who can be a mid season call up, um, especially Mm -hmm. if they're going to do the whole service time thing. Uh, But obviously, I mean, he's so far away that it's hard to project when he would even be called up at this point.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, moving over to Cy Young. Um, I had to go with Chris Sale here. Uh, this is who I think is going to win the next Cy Young award with the Red Sox. Um, by the time he comes back from his Tommy John surgery, I believe he'll be, what, 32, Matt, when he's in the middle of next year? Uh, I don't
1: know. He will be 32, yeah.
2: Yeah, 32. So I've always thought that uh, Chris Sale would eventually break through uh, and win a Cy Young, and I still think that that is going to happen. I think if, if if anybody has the mentality to, you know, come back from this stronger than he was before, I think that's Chris Sale. And the more I think about what he was able to do um, the last year and a half or so when he was actually on the mound, the more kind of impressed I am because. He's somebody that does rely heavily on having good fastball command, and obviously that's one of the things that goes when you have a fraying UCL or sore shoulder, Um, and we saw his slider diminish a little bit, but the fact that he was able to still strike out so many guys uh, during this time period that he was injured just makes me more optimistic for his ability to get back to being himself when he's healthy from Tommy John surgery and the way that elite pitchers age these days, it wouldn't really shock me to see him have two or three more seasons when he returns from Tommy John where he is at the top of his game.
1: Yeah, I've thought about it. I just, I have a little trouble um, with, between the age and the surgery. It certainly wouldn't surprise me at all. I just don't think I would bet on it. But I mean, I obviously, obviously the talent is there. Um, I don't think the Red Sox have a Cy Young winner in their organization. I thought about going a little nuts and going with Noah Song, but that felt, that felt a little crazy. Um, So I think it's going to be somebody out of the organization. I thought about a few names. I thought about Mike Clevenger. I thought about um, Erman Marquez. I thought about John Gray. Um, but ultimately, I landed on Noah Syndergaard. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Syndergaard either get traded to the Red Sox or Red Sox sign him. Maybe even like an Adrian Beltre pillow contract situation um, with him coming off the injury. Who knows how he'll come back from that. Maybe he's going to be the kind of guy that's looking for a one-year value. The Red Sox just benefit from, from that and get a dominant season. Um, obviously, this is kind of just like picking a team out of the hat. I don't have any Uh, ability to tell the future or anything but I just my main point is I think it's outside the organization and Syndergaard is just the guy I think that made the most sense but I mean all these guys are very low chances as individuals
2: yeah um I don't hate the idea of picking somebody from out the organization obviously I would take Chris Sale over anybody from outside of the organization save from like the few guys who are consistently challenging already for size I don't think the Red Sox will get their hands on those, but man, I don't think Syndergaard has it between the ears enough to ever win a Cy Young.
1: Maybe, I don't but, know.
2: The talent's there. <laughs> the talent's definitely there. He just uh he doesn't seem to to be a pitcher yet, even even at this point in his career. So, I'm a little and he's a little apprehensive flashes. about
1: him. And this would be like 3 years down the road.
2: 2-3 years down the road. In two or three do- years down the road, he's still going to be physically strong enough uh, to win oh, a Cy yeah, Young. Sure. It's just whether or not, you know, the, that beast of a human being can get it together enough to, to actually too, uh, it's obviously uh, good pitch. Sure. sure, yeah. Yeah, it's a big question. All right, let's get to our last award here. Uh, MVP, who was your pick?
1: I went with Bogarts again. Um, I mean, I think he's got a little bit of everything, though. One thing that would hold him back is uh, the defense at shortstop. Um, I think he's about average, and it would really come down to what metrics uh, voters tend to look at, because some of them, like DRS, absolutely despises Bogarts. Um, some view him more favorably. I think he's probably somewhere in the middle, but I mean, a shortstop who could hit like him, I mean, if he takes another step, he could put up like a 155-ish WRC+, plus and get to like an eight win season um i mean that's that's mvp i mean he's a shortstop who can hit that's pretty much the easiest way to win an mvp
2: especially if somebody like frankie rodriguez gets traded out of the i mean uh, frankie lindor gets traded out of the american league yeah for sure uh, one less person for him to keep mike with. Mike trout is the guy <laughs> really yeah. worried about but he's <laughs> always good. Gonna... yeah mike trout is uh Mike Trout has an argument to win it every year, except for 2018, where Mookie actually legitimately uh, was better than him that season. Um, but yeah, there's yeah, it's, it's probably Mike Trout's award. But for the sake of this argument, uh, I went with Rafael Devers. I, I love your pick for Bogarts, too. I think that's a great one. But for me, I think Devers has just maybe a higher offensive ceiling um, than then Bogarts, I think that he could potentially run into 40-plus home runs at some point during his career, um, and hitting where he does, I wouldn't be surprised to see one of those outlandish RBI totals one year, and we know he can hit above 300, and the defense is consistently improving. Uh, being able to put up the season that he did last year at you know 22 years old uh 5.9 war season according to fan graphs doesn't strike out a lot for a power hitter um i I think it was really impressive and seeing that kind of all develop and coalesce and, and move in the right direction uh as like a 24 25 26 year old i think we could see something huge
1: yeah yeah he was definitely my other thought um i think the defense is the thing that held me back a little bit um Just because, and I don't even think... I mean, the more I'm thinking about it, I don't really think it's a fair point, but there's just so many good defensive third basemen that I think it's really hard, or it's really easy to look bad there, even if you're, like, average, which I think Tevers can ultimately settle at. I would probably guess he'll be more, like, a little below average, but, I mean, there's just... Third-base defense around the league right now is just insane, so I think it just hurts everybody else who's not one of those elite guys. Um, Mm -hmm. But, I mean, obviously, the way he can hit... He was a very close number two when I was thinking about this.
2: Let's talk home runs for Devers. What do you think his career best in home runs will be? Do you think he'll ever approach, like, 40-plus, 50? I mean, do you think he'll ever get to those heights?
1: Uh, I mean, it's really it's really hard to say because the baseball, we mm-hmm. <laughs> have no idea how the baseball is going to fly year in, right. and year out now. But, I mean, I would say, what are you, 32 last year? I would say he can get up to 40. 50's probably pushing it. Um, yeah, I don't know that there's anybody like the side of like Aaron Judge that I would really feel comfortable predicting a 50-over season from. Maybe Joey Gallo, too. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think Devers quite has that power. Um, but, I mean, I can see him doing like a... I mean, he'd be like a 40... In the very best-case scenario, like a 40-homer-50-double guy, which is just bananas.
2: Yeah, I think the doubles... Part of this whole thing is is underrated. I 54 think fifty four
1: could... doubles last year.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, crazy. it's amazing. Fifty four doubles, one of the best.
1: Eight, uh, four triples and thirty two home runs. I mean, that's outrageous.
2: Yeah, I mean, last year as a twenty two year old, he had one of the top ten extra base hit seasons in Red Sox history.
1: Yeah, there was a right. while it's... where it looked like he was going to break the record.
2: Yeah, it's bananas. Um, and I think being a lefty at Fenway definitely helps him, especially team, a guy so... who can go
1: the other way as a lefty.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing that stands out with him, is just the fact that he he can go oppo and he doesn't strike out. It's so different than front, uh, a lot of the power hitters that we see today. Even some of the guys you were talking about, there's, there's less ways that you can expose him versus a guy like Gallo or Judge who has that massive power. Yeah, I mean when Tevers, uh, sometimes Tevers falls into these little ruts where he
1: does swing and miss a lot, but he's usually good to get out quickly. And I mean, he's not going to draw a ton of walks, but I don't really want him drawing a ton of walks as weird as that sounds I mean, he's just so, when he's at his best I mean, he's ready to swing at anything and he can hit anything and to any part of the field and I'm, I'm okay with him having low walker, it's just the way that his approach works if he's making that much contact and he hits it as hard as he does at any part of the strike zone um, it's just it's fun to watch
2: yeah, that's one of the things that's going to bum me out about you know, that already losing half the year, potentially the whole year is just not being able to see twenty-three-year-old Devers at the plate. Yeah, it, it's a it's a bummer. Smacking himself in the head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so that was fun. Um, we're gonna get to our listener questions now. We only had the one today. We got another right uh, Seems like. While we oh, record. good. We got. Awesome. Uh, so we'll start with this one, and then Matt, you can read the the other one. Um, we got one from Max. And he says, is John Henry a degenerate gambler? How can the Royals afford to carry salary that the Red Sox cannot?
1: I mean, I'm not <laughs> going to touch the first part of that. But, um, I mean, obviously, the Red Sox can afford it. Yeah. It's not a matter that's of can, it's line. a matter of want.
2: Yep. And uh, that's you know, okay. a lot of the ways these people get to be billionaires is by being not sure. great people. um so yeah that's probably it max he can definitely afford it um yeah so the other
1: question is from robbie hyde uh he says on a scale of one to ten one being not a chance ten being definitely going to happen what are the chances you think Mookie will come back next season and if he doesn't come back who could you see uh the red Sox going after
2: okay um Uh, I think it's a 2 out of 10 that Mookie comes back with the Red Sox. And I think that they're most likely to pursue a starting pitcher, whether it be in free agency or trade, Uh, like a a high-level starting pitcher. Um, But I don't exactly have names in front of me or know who that would exactly be. Yeah, I'm pulling up free agents right now. Um, So I would say, again, it depends on if there's a
1: season or not. If there's no season, it's a zero. Um, They they would still have to stay under the luxury tax. Um, If there's no season this year, they wouldn't have their penalties reset, so they definitely wouldn't sign him in that case, and they probably wouldn't really sign any big free agent. Um, If there is a season, I would say it's probably a two, maybe a three. Just really don't see it happening. Um, and as far as signing somebody, I don't think they would sign an outfielder too. You're probably right about the starting pitcher. i um, looking at some of the names now. I don't really love a lot of these guys. Um, maybe I think Stroman. Trevor Bauer's
2: coming up soon. Yeah, yeah.
1: Bauer's on that list. Um, Stroman's on that list. Uh, it's like Paxton's on that list. I didn't know that. Robbie Ray. I'm not a big Robbie Ray guy. Um, But, I mean, there's some good, not really elite pitchers, but there's some guys in the next tier down. Um, I also wouldn't mind the idea of Michael Brantley. I've always loved Michael Brantley. Um, Great The downside there would be that Ben Tundy would have to move to center field, probably, which I don't love. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I haven't really thought enough about the next free agent class to really have a good grasp on who they could possibly
2: sign. Let me float this hypothetical to you before we we end this podcast. If uh, the Red Sox in Major League Baseball do play a half year and the Red Sox are able to effectively reset their luxury tax, if they allowed Mookie to come back on that reported 10-300 and offer that they gave him before with the economics of baseball being what they are, do you think he'd jump at that opportunity? I think that's probably around what he's going to get. Gammon said 250 is his prediction
1: at this point. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's hard to say because I have no idea what the financial situation is and I have no idea what the um, teams are going to say their financial situation is, which I think are probably two different things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's... Pr- I would say, ultimately, if he signs a long-term deal, I think that's what you get. My guess has been that he's going to sign a one-year deal this offseason um, and try to with the
2: Dodgers it.
1: yeah that would be my guess but really yeah just the one-year deal thing I think is just it makes the most sense and then he can go to a more normal hopefully a more normal free agency the next year the only problem there is obviously the CBA that's when the CBA expires so um will just hitting free agency at the
2: yeah, he absolutely is. I, I think it is interesting, though, that the Red Sox are one of the few teams that could afford to still pay him 300 in this market, and it would allow the organization and the player to benefit. You know, Mookie would, would still get very good money, and the organization could save face from the bad publicity that they got from the trade. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he might not even want to come back here. You he don't know how the...
1: yeah, he yeah. really felt about the trade. I mean, he was obviously always... Struck me and really everybody as a business first kind of guy, and I don't get the yeah. sense that he's like super pissed off about it. But I mean, it's really impossible to say for sure.
2: Yeah, I don't even know if he wanted to come back here at all, regardless yep. of the trade. Yep. So it's uh, very possible that you know that was it, and that's why I'm leaning too. I just yeah, I mean, I would, don't have any faith. I'd that be very I very know surprised. what he's going to do. Yeah, that would be that would be one of the most surprising things that I've ever seen in sports if he came back. To yeah, me. for sure. To, to this team, I say, come back to me. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, extremely <laughs> uh, come back to me,
1: Mookie. Mookie, that's if you're listening. I would suggest a restraining order, um, some sort of legal action here.
2: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, wow. What a freudian slip. <laughs> uh, that'll do it for the end of this yeah, episode. This
1: before you get in more trouble.
2: Yeah, I've already I've already done enough. Um, we, we do hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, um, please go on and subscribe to the show. You can find us on basically anywhere you get your podcasts. We're on uh, the Google Podcasts app. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher, everything. Um, so subscribe to us there. If you enjoyed it, please go on rate and review us. We always appreciate that. It helps us quite a bit. Um, and then the other thing is uh, we're on Twitter. So you can find Matt at Matt R Y Collins. You can find me at, at DevJake can find the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster and um, Matt what have you been working on at Over the Monster you want to plug anything here?
1: Uh, Sure so this coming week we're going to start uh, cranking out some draft coverage Um, we've been doing theme weeks uh, every week at SB Nation to try and get us through this time where there's really no sports to talk about so this coming week is going to be about uh, video games so we'll have some stuff about baseball video games if people are interested in that um, Yeah, we've been doing our simulated season uh, from out of the park. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. You've been okay. doing the history thing, the all-time red. Sox yeah, roster? yeah,
2: yep. The all-time Red Sox roster is uh, continuing on. Uh, we've Almost got done with the hitters. I think
1: right. You got one more.
2: Yeah, David Ortiz comes out uh, Tuesday. on Tuesday of this week, and then we're going to be moving on to the the bullpen um, before we hit the starters. And then uh, we're actually a little bit past the halfway point now uh, with the the series. So that's kind of flying by. I hope you guys will check that out because it's been a joy to write that as well. So thank you very much for everybody joining us. And we will be with you next week at the same time.